We are Joel and Leah Marvin, and we are so excited to be celebrating over 20 years of ministry in the Amazon jungles of Ecuador. During that time, we've had the incredible privilege of seeing God's hand through planting dozens of churches and villages that had never had the gospel and training hundreds of native pastors to be able to preach the gospel in their own native tongue and in reaching and baptizing thousands of believers who had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of young girls have come through the Ecuador Hope House, and during that time, they have received food, education, and safety. But most of all, they received the love of a home. And although we can testify of God's goodness, we realize that our greatest task is still before us. As John Wesley said, untold millions are still untold. And our next step is to plant 100 new churches in villages that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and to train 400 new national pastors to be able to continue to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ into the areas that have never heard. This fall, we will be opening our doors to many new girls, making this our largest group yet. Our desire is to launch a second phase where we will be able to help many more girls in the future. It is only through your prayers and faithful support that we can continue to extend the kingdom of God in the darkest places. What an incredible privilege to be with you guys here today in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, my wife and our family, they send their greetings and also all of the brothers and sisters in the jungles in Ecuador, they send a massive uh, hug to you. Pastor, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and share and be able to be a part of what you guys are doing here. And uh, I love watching that video. It reminds me of the day God called my wife and I to move to an area that they called a missionary graveyard. It was an area where over 120 years, missionaries had attempted to plant a church among an unreached people group without success. And God called us and I thought, hey, this is great. Uh, we had this, we had our, we, we, we laid out our first plan and our first vision and it was to plant two churches and reach 150 believers in 20 years. And we thought, man, if we can do that in 20 years, they've been trying for 120 years, we'll be successful, right? Uh, and then last year, we did our, our bi, every two year, our biannual uh, uh, audit of churches and we found out that we've really failed in our initial mission and vision because instead of planting two churches, we planted over 70 churches. And instead of baptizing 150 believers, we baptized 7,000 believers in water. And it's only by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we've been able to do that. In 2006, we had a little girl that was dropped on our doorstep and she was uh, her. It was crazy, your mom came and said, look, if you don't take my daughter, uh, I'm gonna sell her in the market. And uh, I don't know if any of you men have ever heard the old saying, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. If you have, don't say amen, just raise your eyebrow. I don't want you to get in trouble from your wife, right? Uh, but I've learned something, that heaven hath no ally like a woman inspired. And mama got inspired in 2006, and she came back to me and she said, listen, 
85% uh, of the little girls in our province are sexually abused before they're 12. 40% uh, of the girls that are 14 to 16 years old are pregnant or they have kids. And, and just a few years ago, we found out that we have the highest percentage of mothers under the age of 12. So in 2006, we started the Ecuador Hope House on top of church planning and Bible school. We started the Ecuador Hope House as a place where girls could come and finish their education. They could hear that they were loved by God and created in his image. And they, they could also hear that he has plans for them. Amen? Amen? That there are no accidents. And every one of these little girls now, over hundreds and hundreds that have come in, when we built the Ecuador Hope House, we thought, man, if we can fit 20 girls, we'll never have that many young ladies under one roof. And this year, we have over 60 little girls that call the Ecuador Hope House home. And what's unbelievable is out of the hundreds and hundreds of little girls that have gone through the Ecuador Hope House, so many of them become professionals, nurses, and some of them are in university. They get scholarships and they're able to study and further their lives. But what fills me with the greatest joy is just last week we were on the phone with one of our graduates who's now a missionary on the mission field preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ where it's never been proclaimed. Those little girls show me that you know what is the church, our message is so much more than just a, a social message. We've been called to give purpose and life to those who have never heard that they have value. So we do indeed live in the Amazon jungle. We live a long way. And if you wanted to come to my house, you would have to know where you were going and reason why you were going there. And my kids have all been raised there. They were all practically born there. And uh, I, I can tell uh, immediately that we're not from around here, right? <laughs> uh, just a few years ago, we were coming into an international terminal, Miami to be particular. And, and I don't know if you've ever been into an international uh, arrivals terminal, but what it seems like is everyone in the world trying to fit through one door. <laughs> so everyone's backing up. And there's thousands and thousands of people bottlenecking. And my little boy breaks free runs over to the water fountain, opens up the water fountain, takes a drink, and he turns around to his brothers and sisters. He says, come on, y'all, it's free, it's cold, and you can have as much as you want. At that moment, all those thousands of people looked at me like, what kind of freaks are you, and where do you keep your kids chained up at night? <laughs> and you know, when I come back here, uh, I I'm from the South, I grew up in Alabama, and, uh, and I love, I just have to make a confession. I'm not real big on healthy food. Uh, I have a philosophy in life, if it'll slow down long enough, I can fry it and eat it, right? <laughs> and one of the things I love to do is come in and go, uh, go to Popeye's Chicken. And I, I came in and, amen? Amen. amen. And, uh, and I came in and uh, I walked into a Popeye's Chicken several years ago. And when I walked in, I saw the little girl behind the counter. She's 16, 17 years old. And I could see the fear in her eyes. And she had been rehearsing her lines. I could tell that she's been like, okay, I need to know how to say what I'm about to say. And, uh, and when I walk up to the counter, she says, welcome to Popeye's Chicken. Uh, uh, we have everything on our menu except chicken. <laughs> I, I said, sweetie, what do you have? <laughs> Why does anybody come into Popeye's Chicken except for chicken, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not sure where the disconnect was, maybe in the kitchen, in the supply chain, in the managers or something like that. But somewhere down the line, someone missed it and they, they didn't realize the reason behind Popeye's Chicken. They just didn't get it. Now, 
The reason I'm sharing that story with you today is because it's been my experience that most people in church don't get it either. (laughs) They don't understand the reason why we're here today. They don't understand the reason why Jesus came in the incarnation. They don't understand why he walked a mile literally in our shoes and was tempted in every way that we've been tempted yet without sin. They don't understand the reason why he died on the cross. He was resurrected on the third day, why he's seated at the right hand of the Father, why they sent the Holy Spirit to seal us with the promise of the second coming. They don't get it. They don't understand. And you know, I can tell you this church, the reason I know that we don't get it is so many Christians are so focused on winning arguments instead of winning souls. And see, God never called us to win arguments. He called us as the church to win souls. And and what's crazy is Jesus had the same experience with all of his disciples. I know that there's this illusion that all the disciples were these great men of faith and power, but you know, they spent three years with Jesus and they still didn't get it. Can you imagine? They're riding into Jerusalem for Jesus to be crucified and the guys are talking about, hey, can I sit at your right and at your left? And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, how many times do I have to tell you you don't understand? Any of you guys got kids? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> how many times do I have to tell you? Let's repeat everything. I've gotta go to Jerusalem. They're gonna kill me. I'm gonna die. This is not a good time. You're all gonna betray me, okay? Okay, Jesus, but can I be at the right and can he be at the left? (laughs) Oh my God, they just didn't get it. They couldn't wrap their head around the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's okay because so many of Jesus' teachings in the gospels point toward people not getting it. Matthew chapter 20 particularly, we see a parable that goes from verse one all the way to verse 16. No, just to save time today, I'm not gonna read that whole 60s, 80s, it doesn't matter when you get it, it just matters that you get it. No, the reason I wanna go ahead and preface my sermon with that, with that story, with that caveat of this parable is because there's a lot of people in here that would say, boy, if I'd have heard that when I was in my 20s, Oh man, if I would have heard that in my 30s or my 40s, I could have really done something for the Lord. Let me tell you something, it doesn't matter when you get it, it just matters that you get it. The other thing I love about this story is the fact that I grew up on a farm, I grew up in a small town, 582 people in North Alabama. And you know what you did during harvest time? Nothing. (laughs) You know what you did on Friday and Saturday nights? Nothing, because you got up before the sun went up and you went to bed way after the sun went down because you had to get the harvest into the barns. It was not an option to allow the harvest to stay in the fields. I remember one day my grandmother, in her old age, she told me a story about my mom. She grew up, my mom grew up in a sharecropping family. And my grandmother told me one day, she said, sweetie, your mom is a cotton picking baby. I said, what are you talking about, mom? She said, I picked cotton all day long and came home and had your mom. You know why? No one's exonerated from the harvest. When it's harvest time, when we can open up our eyes and see the harvest, we know that we gotta get our hands dirty and do something. 
Now, I'm gonna ask you three questions to see if you get it today. And I want you to, uh, first of all, I want you to make a promise that you're gonna love me at the end of the sermon, okay? And, uh, uh, and, 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 and second of all, I want you only to judge yourself. Don't judge anybody else, okay? Don't judge anybody else. Don't be thinking, boy, I hope, I hope Bobby's listening. I hope, I hope John's listening. I hope Sarah is, is really tuning in. I'm gonna share this. I want you to judge yourself because realistically, that's the only person you can change. Amen? My wife taught me that about two days after we got married. <laughs> Any other husbands? <laughs> Learn that lesson. If you hadn't, you're going to. <laughs> Now, I want you to look at the person beside you and tell the person beside you, don't judge me. And if you're beside your mother-in-law, tell her twice. <laughs> and and if, if you need to, just call her on the phone, okay? And just be like, hey, the missionary said, don't judge me. <laughs> but the very first question I wanna ask you today is can you see the harvest? Can you see the harvest? When you walk out of the walls of this church, can you see the harvest? Can you see the souls that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? When you turn on your television at night, when you're on Facebook, when you're on other social media, are you seeing the harvest? Are you seeing something else? Now, my son, who's now my size, <laughs> all my boys now just wanna be bigger than her dad. And, uh, I just hope they're spiritually bigger than I am. I don't care about the physical. I just want them to be spiritually bigger than their dad. Amen. And I'll tell you something. Uh, I remember when my boy, he was five years old and we went out and we had a father Sunday and I took him to a village to preach the gospel for the first time. We were gonna go and we've been praying about it and talking about it. We were gonna go to a village that had never heard the name of Jesus Christ one time. And we were gonna go there and we were gonna share the gospel with things that did not go as planned. And the next thing I know, I have my five-year-old son and I'm surrounded by natives and they're all yelling and cussing and spitting on me, insulting me because they do not want the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and they're all holding stones and the ones who didn't have stones had machetes. And they're looking for any false move of my part to start stoning us, just to kill us for me to push one of them, for me to yell back at them or do anything else, give them a pretext to kill me and my little boy. And as I'm backing away from the situation, trying to get back to the car, my little boy is behind me and he pulls on my shirt tail and he says, Papa, I wanna preach to him. I said, son, maybe not right now. <laughs> He said, no, I wanna to preach to him right now. And I turned around and I told the people, I said, hey, please, just a second, my son wants to tell you something. And I remember I picked him up and he was dressed in a green tank top and orange pants. And I remember because I had dressed him. <laughs> Some of you moms know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't let your husband dress your kids and go in public. And some of you can't let your husband dress himself and go in public, right? My wife constantly says, you're not wearing that to Walmart. You're gonna end up on one of those videos, okay? <laughs> and so I took my little boy, he's five years old, I put him up on a stone that was about waist high and he had three points because that's what pastor's kids do. They preach and they baptize cats and they serve communion to their dolls and their friends. And, and here he was, five years old with his three points. And point number one is if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. <laughs> 
And he said, point number two, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. He was not creative, just consistent. <laughs> His third point was, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. And that day, my five-year-old boy taught me a lesson that the church needs to learn. Just because they don't look like us and just because they hate us and just because they don't dress like us and think like us or vote like us doesn't make them our enemies. They're still his harvest. In church, when you walk outside of the four walls of this church, of this, of this building, if you see enemies, you need to turn the television off, shut off your Facebook account, get in the word of God, and start seeing the harvest because Jesus said, open your eyes and see the fields are white unto harvest. You know what I've learned, pastor? Christians who can't see the harvest across the ocean don't see it across the street either. Can you see the harvest? Well, the second question I wanna ask you today, what are you asking for in prayer? What are you asking for in prayer? Now, most Christians I know, they have the same three prayer requests. Here they are, me, myself, and I. <laughs> and really, if, if, if those Christians stopped praying, nothing in the world would change because they're only praying for themselves. And see, our prayer reveals whether we get it or we don't get it. No, see, I can't go to prayer every day unless I hear a question asked by my Ecuadorian grandmother. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I'm not Ecuadorian. If you think I'm Ecuadorian, you've never been to Ecuador. Everyone's short and no one has facial hair. <laughs> and so I'm like the biggest, hairiest man God ever created. And, and, and I remember one day preaching in the market and it was a Sunday particularly, and an entire family had come five weeks in a row and listened to me preach the gospel, and finally, after five weeks, that family gave their heart to the Lord. They were the first Christians in their entire village. And they were so excited, they said, Pastor, would you come to our home and preach to the rest of our family? And I said, absolutely, we'll do it on Tuesday. And the next Tuesday, I showed up to the trailhead, no one was there. <laughs> And I asked someone, I said, uh, where's the trail to such and such village? They said, oh, there it is, and I took off. Four and a half hours later, uh, I had walked through mud that was my ankle deep, knee deep, and finally thigh deep, and after four and a half hours, I had almost lost my salvation. But by the grace of God, a righteous man falls seven times and gets up every time, amen? <laughs> and as I come stumbling out of the jungle, here I am, the hairiest, biggest man God ever created, covered in mud, sweating, and, and everyone came out like Sasquatch had arrived in their village. Like, why is this guy showing up right now? And I'm looking around at everybody in the village because there's only about 80 people in the entire village, and there's a family of like five or six that are believers, so they'll stand out. They'll be like, oh, that's our pastor. They're not there. And I look at a lady that's standing beside me and I said, ma'am, is this village 
called Utunkus? She said, yes, it's called Utunkus. I said, is it called Utunkus North? She said, no. It's called Utunkus South. Utunkus North is on that mountain over there. <laughs> that day I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit not to walk back down the mountain and back up the other mountain. <laughs> I said, we're gonna preach the gospel right here, right now. And we started in the book of Genesis with the seven days of creation. And an hour and a half later, we got to Jesus and justification. And that day, several handfuls of believers accepted the Lord, several people for the very first time when they heard the gospel message, they accepted the Lord. They came forward, they gave their hearts to the Lord. And one of them adopted me as her grandson. She's an 85 year old lady. She's never heard the name of Jesus one time. And I would go up to that village every week and I would read to her out of the New Testament because she couldn't read or write. I would sit on a log in front of her hut and I would read to her from the New Testament. And I love the fact that she had such an incredible memory. We'd read all the way through the gospels and she would tell me, she said, Pastor, read me that story again where he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Say, Pastor, tell me again about, about how he walked on the water and calmed the sea. Tell me that part, I like that one. And she'd get really emotional. She'd say, tell me about, tell me about Lazarus again how he stunk and, and Jesus brought him back. And one day she started crying and she was looking at me and she said, Pastor, I'm so thankful that you came and told me the gospel because I lived my whole life, 85 years without ever knowing Jesus. And she started telling me about all of her kids. She'd had 16 kids. And some of her kids had died in infancy from childhood illness. She told me about how her husband bought one time can you imagine that, that we sit in church and we debate the second coming of Christ when over half of the world has not heard about his first coming? And Jesus said that you would pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. Our prayer reveals whether we really get it and we understand the reason we're here. But the third question is this, where's your treasure? Now those first two, they're not really uncomfortable. We're talking about how we look and outlook and everything else. That's the second one, yeah, our prayers, but man, you hit that third one, people start shifting around in their seat. We get real uncomfortable. And see, Jesus even taught it back in his day. He said, wheresoever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't it amazing that Jesus 2,000 years ago told us that the thing that has power to change our heart is our treasure when it's placed in the right place? Well, see, automatically wheels are turning. Wheels, wheels are turning. And so many Christians, we treat this verse or this, this revelation, we treat it as if it's an IRS audit, right? And, and, and we're looking at it and we're going, okay, pastor, just tell me how much do I have to give to make this go away? I mean, I mean, what's my percentage bracket? Just tell me exactly the bottom line. I just wanna know how much can I give and just walk away and breathe freely? Well, the problem is that's not a legitimate answer. I don't care who gives that to you. And the reason it's not a legitimate answer is because Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and he told him, sell everything you have and follow me. 
But then we have Joseph of Arimathea who was wealthy and a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus never told him to sell anything. You know the difference between the two? One of them had an obstacle and the other had an implement. See, everything you have in your life, your education, your wealth, your belongings, everything you have, your family even, is either an implement or an obstacle to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It only depends on where you place it. If you take your treasure and you put it in the right place, guess what happens? Your heart goes there. Your heart goes there. See, we can't answer that question of how much without first looking at our heart. I think about a guy named Marco in Ecuador. I met Marco in an unbelievable way. Uh, a lot of times people hear me tell stories and they're like, you, I, I can't even remember half my stories because I've been there so long. And God's been so Good, I could tell you stories of people being brought back from the dead. I could tell you of people being healed. I can tell you of angels and Jesus appearing in huts where people have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I didn't live it, I don't know if I'd believe it myself. <laughs> but I was there. <laughs> when I hear this unbelievable stuff, I was there. Several years ago, my wife and I, we loaded up our kids and we went on a picnic. And for us to go on a picnic, we had to drive hours and hours and hours away from town to find a decent place where it was a little bit cool so we could have a picnic. And we drove for two and a half hours in a four-wheel drive until the road ended in a river. And across the river was a village. And when we got out at the river, we took out all of our food and everything. And, and as, soon as, we got the, as soon as I got the first bags out, my wife ran around. She said, put it back. We've got to leave. Something's wrong. Put everything we had back in the car. We drove back down the mountain 30 minutes, and we had our picnic. And after, 30, after, after we had our picnic, we didn't think anything about it. Six weeks later... One of our pastors came to us. He said, hey, this guy's name is Marco. He got saved. He's the first Christian in his entire village, but he wants to tell you a story. I said, hey, Marco, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great, pastor. Six weeks ago, did you go to the village of Sungans and have a picnic? I said, well, we did, but we turned around and came back down the mountain. And he said, I know you did because me and three other men were hiding in the woods and we had made a promise that we were gonna kill you and your wife and all of your kids when you got out of the car. Then he smiled and he said, but that was before I knew you were gonna be my pastor. <laughs> and he looked at me, he said, pastor, you can't come to my village. They've already said, if you come to my village, they're gonna kill you and throw you in the river. They're not even gonna let you talk. So we prayed for Marco. He stayed with us for over a week. We did an intense discipleship as much as we could. We put the gospel in his hand. We prayed for him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and we sent him back to his village. And we didn't hear from Marco for six months and on a Sunday morning, we prayed for Marco every day. On a Sunday morning in our, in our main service, on our main campus, he shows up and he says, Pastor, what time are the baptisms? I said, Marco, what are you talking about? I said, we don't have baptisms today. He said. I have my first 11 disciples and they gotta be baptized. And, and, and then we did baptism that day. <laughs> you make exceptions, right? And then, and then we went back 
and uh, we prayed for all 12 of them and we sent them back and they came back and they said, Pastor, uh, the bad news, the village has rejected us. They said they don't want Christians in their village and they've, they've told us they're gonna steal our farms, they're gonna burn our homes to the ground and they're gonna take all of our land. Just the Christians. And he said, I need you to pray and fast because they're gonna meet in two days. And we prayed and we fasted inside of our church. We didn't leave the church building for two days. And we prayed and fasted for 48 hours. And after 48 hours, Marco showed back up and he said, God moved. And they're not gonna kick us out of our village, but they, they made a stipulation. We can only read the Bible and preach the gospel in my house, nowhere else. He showed me a little picture of his house. His house was 500 square foot, a shack. With, with rotted out tin on top of it. And that's where he and his wife and their five kids live. No, no floor, no wooden floor, dirt floor, no beds, no, no furniture, no books, no indoor toilet, nothing. And he asked me, he said, Pastor, I have a plan. Do you have any scrap metal roofing? Do you have any baling wire, maybe a couple nails? I got a plan, I wanna do something. And we bound it up some old construction material we put it in the back of a truck and sent Marco back and two weeks later he shows back up and he shows us the new picture and he had taken his entire home down and he rebuilt it half the size and he put a little awning on the front so he would have a place for more people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now when you ask that question of how much do I have to give, the only answer is you gotta give until you feel it. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things, listen here, there ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes them. You see, what Jesus talked about 2,000 years ago was repeated in the Reformation by Martin Luther when he told his followers that every believer should go through three conversions. See, he said that we should go through a conversion Hey, we should go through a conversion of our emotions, we should go through a conversion of our intellect, but the last conversion, the last baptism that every believer has to go through is the baptism of the wallet. And the reason he said that is because when God gets your wallet, he's got you. And see, I have to be really clear and transparent. It's not to try to manipulate or, or change a narrative or make you feel obligated. It, the fact is, God wants you. He wants you. Lock, stock, and barrel. I'm gonna ask you to stand up on your feet. Do you get it? Do you understand the reason why we're here? 
Do you understand the reason why Jesus has given us the grace that he's given us? It's for the harvest. Do you realize the reason this church is here right now, the reason we're inside these four walls is for all of the people in Jacksonville, Florida that are not here today? That's why we're here. The Bible doesn't say blessed are the comfortable or I've come to make you happy. Trust me, I've read it in the original Greek and it's not there. If you can find it, come after service, I'll be up front and you can show it to me. But I've read it cover to cover, it's not there. But what I do see day in and day out is harvest, harvest, harvest that you see the harvest, that you pray the harvest, that you put your treasure in the harvest. Those who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I can tell you something today. Maybe you're here today or you're listening online and what you're hearing is stirring your heart, but you know that you're not right with God. But I can tell you something. Inside of the gospel, there's an incredible promise of hope. And you know what that hope is for? The most hopeless person that's listening to me preach right now. It's a promise that your sin can never be too big, that your sin can never be too heavy for Jesus Christ to remove it from your life. That it doesn't matter what they've said about you. It doesn't matter what's happened in your past. Jesus Christ can become the savior and redeemer of your present and he can give you a future. And you know what I love is the fact that the apostle Paul said this. He said, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the chief. I got news for you. Jesus can save your soul right now. You don't need, you're not mistaken and need a corrector. You don't, you're not, a, 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 you're not a, 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 we're not talking about consumerism and you need an influencer. You're a sinner and you need a savior. It means you can't fix it. It means you can't fix your life and your circumstance. You've tried, you've made attempts, you've done everything you can do. But Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross because you couldn't do it on your own. See, that's good news. It's good news because you can't do anything to earn it. All you can do is receive it. And if I'm speaking to you right now and the Holy Spirit's moving in your life, it doesn't matter what's happened up until this point. Today can be your day of salvation. Maybe you knew the Lord when you were a kid and you walked away and you tried to do it on your own. And you've proven to yourself again that you can't do it. I'm thankful for grace. You see, grace is what Jesus poured out on the cross to every one of us. 
And you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that there is a fountain that flows with grace from the throne of God. And you know that fountain never runs dry. Never runs dry. And today we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? Amen. If you haven't remembered that, man, you need to go back to Sunday school. I'm gonna tell you what, if you remember that, you need to go to Sunday school. I think everybody should be in Sunday school next week. Now, if you're hearing this for the first time or maybe you know you're not right with the Lord, I'm gonna invite everyone that's listening to me, whether you're online or you're here with me right now, I want you to close your eyes. And I'm gonna ask every person that's listening to me right now, whether you're a believer or you're not believing, you're just doing this for the first time, I'm gonna ask you to pray. The reason I'm gonna ask you to pray is, you know what? We're all sinners saved by grace. Amen. Let's be an encouragement to those who are doing this for the very first time in their life. And if you're at home and you're watching this all by yourself or you're driving in your car, do me a favor, pull your car over to the edge of the road and you will not regret the next two minutes because the Holy Spirit is gonna fill your car. If you're in your living room and you kneel down before your, your, your television set or you're in your bedroom and you just get beside your bed, it doesn't matter where you are, God is about to fill your life with that grace. And what I wanna ask everyone that's listening to me right now, I want you to pray with me. I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Very simple. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today, sinners in need of a savior. We need you, God, to put our life in order. We need you, God, to erase our past. And God, we need you to plant hope for our future in our heart. And Lord, we believe that Jesus Christ is that Savior. He's our Savior. He's my Savior. And I receive him. And I ask it in his name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, you need to find one of the leaders here in church. You need to post something on your feed. You, this church will follow up with you and they will give you the atmosphere you need to grow in your spiritual walk. Today, listen, that's not the last step, friend. That's the first step. That's the first step in your new life. God wants to transform your darkness into light. Now listen, we're not done because I got a prayer for everyone else. Now, how many of y'all still love me? Amen? There's like three of you, but I accept the ones that still love me. That's more than love me in the, my hometown, 582. I think I only get like two people to raise their hand. That's my mom and dad. That's it. <laughs> I know that you're scared. You know what we're scared for? We're scared to open up our eyes and see the harvest because it means we gotta change the way we view the world. It means we, we gotta, see, they're not our enemies. 
It doesn't matter what the 24-hour news feed tells us. They're not our enemies. See, it, it means that I have to change the way that I treat people that I don't agree with because they're not my enemies. They're his harvest. See, we're afraid to pray for the harvest. And, and what I found out is most Christians are afraid to ask God for an opportunity to share their faith because they're afraid he's going to give it to them. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We're afraid that we're going to have to give an account for our hope to somebody that's living in a hopeless situation. Think how absurd that statement is. We're afraid to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers because we're afraid he's gonna say, are you really available or are you just singing it on Sunday mornings? You, you know what I found out? A lot of Christians, this is why we pray in services like this. Lord, here am I, send him. What are you laughing at? I'm talking to you. We're afraid for how much it's going to cost us. And when we're afraid of how much it's going to cost us, we can be sure that our things have become obstacles instead of implements because they're not in the right place. Now my little boy, my youngest child, he is a wrecking ball. My parents say he is just like me. Any of y'all ever heard of paying for your raisin? And he's got the little floaty wings on and we're in about ankle deep water and he's watching his brothers. And after a few minutes of watching his brothers, he looks up at me and says, Papa, I go. I told him, I said, okay. And I pulled him up to the very top. We got up on the top of this cliff and I told him, I said, all right, go. And this is what he did was a little floaty zone. He goes, mm -mm, nope. <laughs> and, and, he, and he keeps getting closer and closer, but he does it three or four times. And you can tell the mind game that's going on, right? It's a mind game that's going on in the life of a three-year-old kid. What ifs? And finally, the fourth time, he gets his toes curled over the edge of that cliff and he squats down. And by this time, he's shaking, he's so scared. He squats down and as he's shaking with his little wings on, he looks up at me and he says, Papa, push me. Are you brave enough to pray it? Do you trust God enough to pray that prayer? Say, God, push me. If I'm talking to you today, I want you to do something a little bit different. I want you to raise both your hands toward heaven. <laughs> and if you
if you're watching online, uh, I want you to change your posture and raise your hands. If you're in your car, please pull over to the side of the road before you raise your hands. <laughs> but simply profound, this little two word prayer with your hands raised toward heaven and with a sincere heart. I want you to repeat these words, Father, push me. <laughs> 